welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. This morning we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, so I want to encourage you all to open up there with me. And the title of my message is The Throne of Grace. The Throne of Grace. Now, this morning, what we're going to find out and what we've already saying really is, I think we can all acknowledge that Jesus is worthy of our praise. Amen? Amen. He's worthy of our praise. He's the only one that ever laid his life down and picked it back up again. He's the creator of this world. He's the sustainer of this world. He's the one that knows you better than you know yourself. And he's the one that has greater plans than you have for yourself. He's worthy of our praise. Heaven even tells us that right now, all of heaven is worshiping Jesus. One of the things we're going to see this morning in Hebrews, and if we can just kind of sum up what Hebrews is about, is the writer of Hebrews is writing to a a discouraged group of believers that right now they're just, they're so discouraged, they're contemplating whether or not to walk away. And so all through this book and all through this letter, the author is saying things like, Jesus is greater. He's supreme. So follow after him. Jesus is greater than Moses. So follow after him. Jesus is greater than the angels. So follow after him. Jesus' sacrifice is the greatest and the all-sufficient sacrifice. So trust in him. And so we find that not only is Jesus worthy of our praise, but what we're going to talk about this morning and really see is that Jesus is worthy of our pursuit. He's worthy of our pursuit. Now for the Lord Jesus, he leads us in a lot of ways, but what we're going to look at is that through Jesus and through the power of his Holy Spirit living in the life of believers, he leads us straight into the throne of grace where he meets us with his mercy. So my question this morning is why would we settle for anything less than his presence. Why will we settle for anything less than the mercy that Jesus Christ can give us? Why will we settle for anything less than God's best and his best is himself? Amen. Why will we settle for anything less? That's a question I think we all need to contemplate and think about this morning because truthfully, by nature and by default, you and I are a, are a group of people, sinners, who constantly settle for less than God's best for us. Amen. All right, again, four, four amens this morning. I think there's a lot more people in here who know what I'm talking about. We're a group of people that will settle for, instead of being satisfied in Jesus, we'll find our satisfaction in a temptation that only satisfies temporarily, amen? See, the Bible is even full of stories like that. Adam and Eve, they walked in perfect harmony, perfect fellowship with God, and yet they settled for something less than God's best. They traded in fruit for fellowship with God. Samson, another example, he, he walked in unbelievable strength, but he settled for the things of this world as opposed to obedience to God. Another example, and a very prime example, is Judas. Judas, he walked with Jesus. He listened to Jesus talk. He saw the miracles. He watched it with his own eyes. But he traded in eternal life and grace and mercy in the person of Jesus for just some measly silver shekels. You and I, by default, we oftentimes settle for less than what God has for us. But what we're going to find in Hebrews chapter four is not only is Jesus greater than Moses, he's greater than the angels, he's greater than than the law, and he's greater, he's the greater sacrifice. We're going to find that Jesus, in an incredible way, invites you and me in as believers 
to enter into his throne of grace, to obtain the mercy that we so desperately need moment by moment. So the question becomes, why would we settle for anything less? Why would we pursue peace and satisfaction in anything other than Jesus Christ himself? So in Hebrews chapter four, I want to ask if you would stand to your feet in honor and reverence of God's holy word. And we're going to begin reading in chapter four in verse 14. If you have your place in God's holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant word, say amen. 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 The author of Hebrews says in verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession. So here's, here he is again. He's saying, Jesus is greater. Let's let me remind you of who he is. So hold on to him. Don't let anything let, allow you to let him go. Keep pursuing after him. Keep chasing after him. He is enough. Then he continues. He says, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. Let us therefore, again, here's the invitation. Let us therefore, here's what we do because of who he is and what he's done. Come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the truth that we've already heard this morning through song. And God, we admit that we are a needy people. This room is full of people holding on to burdens, broken hearts, worries in our minds. God, we are so needy. We need you so much. And God, even for those in this room that things may be going okay, we have someone close to us that needs you. So God, we thank you for the access that Jesus gives. God, my prayer this morning is that your Holy Spirit would just work in such a way and that your word would work in such a way that every single believer in this room would understand the access that we have, but we would accept the invitation that Jesus gives. So God, I pray that you'd hide me behind your cross. God, I cannot do this, and I pray that you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Why would we ever not accept the invitation to go into his throne of grace? Now, this morning, as we look in this passage, I want to point out three things about this throne and the person that's seated to the right of the throne of God in Jesus Christ himself. And so we're going to go through this and we're going to look at who Jesus is, how much he cares for you and what that means for you and I. We're going to look at just one aspect of who he is. We're going to look at how much he loves you, and then we're going to see what we must be responsible for. So the first thing I want you to notice this morning about the throne of grace is the role of our priest. Number one, the role of our priest. We see it down there that the author, he just starts laying it out there. Seeing them, we have a great high priest. Now, it's important to understand that this is one of the titles, one of the many titles that Jesus has been given. Now, we understand also that titles matter, amen? They matter. And so for some of you in the room, you go by the title of doctor. You went through a lot of school, a whole lot more school than I hope and pray I ever have to go through to earn that title. Some of you in this room went, have the title of professor or for teacher. So by your experience, by your own work, you have obtained and earned that title. Other in the room, you have the title of husband, wife, mother, father. We have a title and it has some significance to us. Now, Jesus, he has many titles in scripture, but here, one of those titles that's given to Jesus in verse 14 is great high priest. That's important, y'all. Maybe one of the most significant and most important 
titles that Jesus has given. Just as significant as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, just as significant as Savior and Lord, but we must understand what this means. Hebrews, the author says that he is our great high priest, so let's unpack what this role is. So just the title itself, great high priest, it does a few things for us. First of all, it specifies his person. It specifies, it gets specific about who he is and what he has done for us. Now, in Israel, there were two temples that they would offer sacrifices in. We had Solomon's temple, and then after they went into uh, to Babylon that we're reading and studying about right now in Daniel with our grow groups, they rebuilt another temple when Ezra came along. We've been studying that for a little while too. And so they had two temples that were, that were used to offer sacrifices and to make men right with God. And so for us, we understand, and by, by tradition, there were about 78 men that held the title of high priest. But I need to let you understand something. There's only one that's ever walked on this planet that has the title of great high priest. This title alone, the fact that he's called great in the Greek, it's where we get our word mega. It, un, it allows us to understand that he's different. He's greater. He's more remarkable. He's more significant. And so we should not take this lightly. Yes, there were men that offered sacrifices year in and year out to make Israel right with God, but there's only been one man that offered one sacrifice that was sufficient for this whole world once and for all. And his name's Jesus, and he goes by the title of great high priest. You see, he has some other titles that make us know that he's greater. There's been a lot of creators in this world, a lot of inventors. I'm not one of those. I watch Shark Tank and I'm like, why didn't I think of that? I don't have that kind of mind. I'm about as creative as this plant down here. That's me. There's a lot of creators in this world, but there's only one that can be told and be called the creator of the world. There've been a lot of people that have watched sheep out in the, in the flock by night. They've taken care of sheep and taken care of those that, uh, that wander away, but there's only one that can go by the title of great shepherd. You've walked through a lot of doors in your life, amen? You probably walked through a few this morning. You probably walked, got in a car door. You walked through a lot of doors coming into this building even now, but there's only one that goes by the title of the door that opens the door for you and I to have everlasting life. Jesus is different. His title tells us that, and his work proves it. He's, there's only one that can be called Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. A lot of you guys in this room are trying to be the Alpha. You pale in comparison to Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people that are looking for life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the, he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Almighty, that which is and which was and which is to come. He's the bright and morning star. He's the day spring. He's the creator of all this. His title enough tells us that he's significant. In his role, the great high priest, we see that, that this author distinguishes him as somebody different. And this is the one that invites us in. He's the one that invites us in. He's the one that promises that he will give us access to the throne of God. It's not just by title alone, but it's also by his work. Now, it says it down here in verse 14, seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed from the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. If there's any question of who he is, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. But his title gives us a, a, some specifics about his person, but it also speaks about his performance. It speaks about his performance. Now we've already addressed this a little bit, but for those in this room that have the title of doctor or a teacher or whatever it might be, you had to do something to earn that title. Amen. I wish I'd get like an honorary doctorate. That'd be pretty sweet. Any, any university that's open for that, I'd be open for that. But I'm probably not gonna do the work to do it, amen? So he did some things though. 
Now, in, in the Old Testament, we had uh, several, several men that served as in the office of a high priest, but it begs the question, what was the office of the high priest? Like, what did they do? What did the priest do, and why is this so significant? So I need you to lock in here, because this is so important. It's important for our faith, and it's important for where we're going this morning. But the high priest, there were many priests that served in Israel. But if I can give you a summation of what a priest's role was, is the priest, his role was to bring man to God. He was, his role was to bring man in right relationship to God. There were other offices in Israel, one being the prophet. And the prophet, what he did is when God gave him a word, he went and spoke it. He said, thus saith the Lord. So the prophet's role was to bring God to men. Then you had the king to point other people to the true king of Israel. Don't y'all see how Jesus is all three of those things? He's prophet, priest, and king. That's good, y'all. I'll let that sit for a minute. But the priest, his role was to make man right with God, to bring man to God. Now, the high priest of Israel, if you study it out in Leviticus, the temple was set up where they had different courts. There was the court for the Gentiles. Then there was the court for the Israelites. Then it had an inner court for the men of Israel. And then even farther in, as you would go through the temple, you would get to the place where the priests would hang out and they would spend their time offering sacrifices. But there was another part to the temple that's very, very important. It had a veil across it. And inside this portion of the temple is what we know as the Holy of Holies. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And it's where the great high priest, after offering a sacrifice, would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the blood of atonement on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of Israel. That sounds like a lot, right? It's a big deal. So you go back. If you, on the, on the, the seventh month, the 10th day of the seventh month, the high priest would then take a sacrifice into the, the, where the offering was, into where the, the burnt offering altar was. He would sacrifice an animal for himself to make him right with God. And then the great high priest, this is so important, get this. He would take the other animal, he would place his hands and put his weight on the animal to signify that the weight of Israel and the sin of Israel is being placed on this sacrificial animal. And then he would kill it on the altar to offer it as a sacrifice. The blood would spill over the altar and that blood would be the payment for their sins. So see that this is important, y'all. This is speaking to Jesus's atonement. This is speaking of his performance. Now for the high priest, he would do that once every year to atone for the sins of Israel, place the sins on that animal, kill the animal as a sacrifice, allow the blood to spill over. Then he would take the blood he would go from where the priest's chambers are and he would walk a little bit further, go past the veil into the Holy of Holies, having made sure he was right with God. They would tie a rope around him, and we'll get there in just a second, with some bells on it to make sure he's still moving around. He would go in, sprinkle the blood of that sacrifice on the Ark of the Covenant to say, God, the sins have been atoned for, and he would hope that God would accept that, that gift, and then he would repeat it only once a year. What does that tell us about the high priest? One sacrifice was never enough. One sacrifice was never enough. And yet here we have Jesus, the great high priest, where we can understand his sacrifice was sufficient. So this speaks about his performance. Now let's just go here. Go here with me. It says in verse 14, we have a great high priest. Listen to this. That is passed into the heavens. Those high priests, they'd have to pass through the courts of men. They'd have to pass through the priests. They'd have to go through the veil. 
But you know what Jesus did, y'all? Jesus passed through the heavens. He descended out of heaven, came to this earth, and he lived a perfect life. He never did anything wrong, and he himself became the sacrificial lamb. And then Jesus, through all of his miracles, uh, through all of his teaching, the scribes and the Pharisees, they hated him. They couldn't stand him, and they said he was guilty, and they took him to the cross, even though he had done nothing wrong. And as a sacrificial lamb, all of our sins were placed on him. And he was nailed to a cross, and he shed his own blood. And Jesus, while he was on the cross, the Bible says he became a curse for you and for me. He's the great high priest because he not only was the sacrificial lamb, but he made the sacrifice. What happened when he was on the cross? The Bible said the earth shook, and then what happened to that temple veil? It was torn in two, as if to communicate to everybody else to say, that's not the way anymore. Those types of sacrifices cannot do it. I finished the work. And so when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. And the great high priest, he passed through heavens the first time coming down to be born of a virgin. And then after he was buried in the, in the borrowed tomb and rolled, the stone was rolled away three days later, he came back alive, spent 40 days here on this earth, and then he ascended through the heavens, through space through the heavens and the abode of God and he sat down at the right hand of God. What does that tell us about his performance? It tells us this, please get this. The work of the cross and the person of Jesus Christ is enough to save you from your sins. So how about the person in this room that you've been carrying shame for a long time? You come to worship you sing worthy is the lamb or worthy is, is his name. And you sing these songs, all hail the power of Jesus and all these things. But all you can think about is your sin and your shame. Can I just, can I just tell you something? Those sins, if you know Jesus, they've been paid for. Amen. You are forgiven. His blood is sufficient. His grace is enough. His work is finished. So for you, if you're carrying that shame, there's, it tells me one of two things. One, your fellowship's messed up. And you haven't gone to him just to cleanse you from that sin and unrighteousness. You can go to him right now and say, God, you know what I've done. Here's, here's what it is. Please cleanse me because I want to hear from you. I want to commune with you. I want to walk with you. But then it tells me another thing. If you don't have a good fellowship with him and you're just carrying around that shame, it tells me this. You don't have a right understanding of the gospel. Some of you think that it's Jesus plus something equals salvation. That ain't it, man. That ain't it. It has nothing to do with anything you can do. Amen? And that's what makes it so good. So Jesus, as our great high priest, he came and he offered the sacrifice. But then look at this. It, it speaks of his performance. But then look at this. It stresses his power. When it says that he passed through the heavens, he went through the heavens that we see, like where the clouds are. He went through the heavens that we know as space. And then he went through the heavens of where God is in his throne. And the Bible says... In Colossians chapter one, in Hebrews chapter eight, in Ephesians chapter one, in Colossians chapter three, that Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of God. That speaks of his power. You see, for the, for the, great, for the high priests in Israel, I told you they would tie a rope around him, right? They would tie a rope around him because they had, he had to make sure that there was nothing in between him and God. Talk about pressure. Think about that for a second. He's doing a very significant work. He's going to carry the blood of the sacrifice behind the veil into the Holy of Holies and then sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And so like they tied a rope around him and had bells on his garments to where if they heard him stop moving or they just heard a, I mean, a thud in there, 
They understood that my man was really not right with God and that he just lost his life because sin can't be in the presence, right? And so for them, they would tie a rope around him. And so think about how significant this is. As a high priest, you would go in for just a moment, sprinkle the blood, and then you get out of there. Never in the history of Israel did you see a guy go in there with the blood and then like a lawn chair to say, you know what, I think I'm good enough to be in here. I think I'm good enough to just take a seat. Yeah, there's the presence of God, there's the mercy seat, and then I'll just, I'll just hang out. Never there, right? Because that, that speaks to pride, amen? But look at Jesus. Jesus, all through scripture, we find that he ascended into heaven and now he is seated at the right hand of God. What does that tell us? His work was enough and there's assurance for you and for me. So we hear this, this portion of scripture that we have a great high priest that passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Then he says, let us hold our profession. Hold on to it. He's enough, y'all. He's enough to be pursued. But even in that, I'm not going to lie. As I read, read verse 14, my mind just immediately thought like, I'm not worthy. How could I ever just fall before a holy God and really enter into his presence day in and day out? And I'm sure there's others in this room that are they're thinking the same thing. I'm not worthy. Like, how can I really, really go there? And you see the role of the priest. But then let me remind you the second thing, the reminder about the priest. You see, yes, his work was significant. Yes, his work changed everything for you and for me. Yes, his work is powerful and majestic and awesome and he's holy and he's good. But he also loves you very much. Can I remind you of that? He loves you so very much. Now, one of my best friends in the world is Jordan Hunt, and I can go to him for anything. And he can sympathize with me. He's a man of God. Like, he prays for me. I know he prays for me. He, like, encourages me. He shoots me straight. If I need to hear something, he'll hit me right between the eyes and just straight up part my hair, if y'all know what I'm talking about. But if I went to Jordan right now, and I just said, hey, man, like, I've been dealing with this for a long time. Like, be it a sin issue, be it a circumstance, my heart's heavy, like, my heart's breaking. If I went to Jordan, he could sympathize with me, right? Maybe for him, like he could say, you know, I've been through a similar thing. Like I used to struggle with the same stuff or I had a similar cir circumstance that was just like that. Maybe it's not even anything he's ever walked through, but he can just say like, I can see how that hurts. Well, for Jordan, he can pray for me and he's called a priest as a believer so he can take me to God and lift me up to the Lord. But truthfully, Jordan, Jordan can't truly meet me with mercy and grace, Amen. He can't. I can't do the same thing for you. Now, let me tell you this. If you're struggling with something, we welcome it. We want to walk through things with you. We want to carry these burdens with you and just help you see from God's word how you can have victory and have peace through Jesus. We want that. But a lot of times, listen, a lot of times when we carry burdens, our default and the things we turn to first are people that really can't meet us with that mercy and grace. We look for fellowship. We look for friends to give us good advice. And that's not a bad thing, but that should not be the first place we turn to. We look for counselors to give us wisdom and, and discernment through situations. And that's great. Those are gifts of God, but that should not be the first people we turn to. We look for medicine or food or, or other different things, all these different things. And we are settling for less than God's best. Why? Because of this reminder of who Jesus is. The second thing, the reminder of, of, his, uh, of this priest, it says in verse 15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Now quickly, this reminder about Jesus is, is twofold. One, the sympathy that he awards. There are people in this room that all this week you felt lonely. He invites you into the throne room and what he gives you access to do is without fear, without hesitation, without reservation, just simply say, God, my heart hurts because I'm lonely. My marriage is falling apart. 
I don't have a marriage, whatever it might be. I'm heavy, my heart hurts, and my heart is broken. I feel lonely. Don't you know that we have a high priest in Jesus that can sympathize with us? Because who else felt more lonely than he did on that cross? He knows how you feel, and even in a greater way. For some of you in this room, you've been carrying around guilt and you feel so afraid to approach God because you might have a high view of him and and you're just like, I'm not worthy to go to him. But he invites you in with boldness to say, Lord, here I am again. I've got guilt. I'm so ashamed of what I've done. I'm so ashamed of the things that I've done against Jesus. Who else knows better than the guilt that he felt on the cross? Jesus knows, not even by his own doing. And we'll see that in a second, but he can sympathize with you. If you're lonely, run to him. If you're guilty, run to him. If you're hurt, run to him. If you're facing loss, run to him. Jesus, he lost friends on this earth. Of course, he raised them again in Lazarus, but he lost friends. He knows how it feels. He saw the sick. He sees what sin does. So why would we ever not run to him first? He meets us and he awards us with his sympathy. And he says, I know how you feel. I felt it. I was tempted the same way as you were. I felt it. But here's the best part about this. The sympathy he awards, but the sinlessness he attained. He was tempted like we are. He was tempted like we are. He knows the temptations you face. Here's what's so good. It says in verse 15, yet without sin. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never fell short. He never had a bad moment. He never had a moment where his temper flew off the handle. He never had a negative thought. He never sinned against God. He never broke God's law. He fulfilled it to the, to the fullest. And Jesus was in complete obedience, but he felt every temptation that you feel. So why not run to him? Why not run to him? Because you know what that tells us? Not that he's going to look back down on you. Not that he's ready to thump you in the head because you messed up again or to kick you out of his presence. What that should remind you of is that his work was enough. The cross is enough. And so it gives you assurance to go into his presence. And it also gives you a hopefully affirmation that you can walk in his power. It gives you assurance to go into his presence, but it should give you affirmation to walk in his power. If he's the one that conquered death, hell, and the grave, and he's alive today, and he promises to live inside of you, is he not going to be the same one that allows you to have the power to overcome that sin and that sin, that sin and temptation? He is. We see the role of the priest. We see the reminder about the priest, what he accomplishes, what he assures. But then we've been talking a lot about pursuing after him, right? I want you to see the third thing in this, the result of this pursuit, the result of this pursuit, the author of Hebrews, he says in verse 14, let us hold fast our profession. Don't let go of Jesus. Don't run away from your faith. Don't listen to the lies of this world. Hold on to him and let him hold you. But then he says down there in verse 16, because of what Jesus has done, because of who Jesus is, here's the invitation. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. The results of this pursuit is this. You have been invited in by the God of this universe because of what Jesus has done for you. So why ever reject that? And not only have you been invited in, but he promises to meet you with his grace and with his mercy. What we understand about this is is the result of this practice and this pursuit is Jesus invites us in through him and through the power of his Holy Spirit to the throne of grace. 
Now, I'm not gonna spend too much longer here because I know we're running out on time, but I want you to just imagine this. Like, imagine this for a second. John MacArthur said this, and I agree with him, but Jesus had the power to transform the throne. Now, if you look in the Old Testament, God's throne was always a place of majesty, yes, but it was also and always a place of judgment. Now, there's coming a day where it's going to be another place of judgment with the great white throne uh, judgment for the, for the lost. But when Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, his throne to the believer became a place of mercy. It became a place of grace. So here's how it works. You're pursuing Jesus. You have a need. And every morning you wake up and moment by moment you call out to him and you say, God, Because of what Jesus has done for me and through the Holy Spirit, I'm calling out because I need you right now. God, I need you to move in my circumstances. I need you to help me overcome this sin and temptation. And so you are invited into a place of majesty, a place of majesty. Now, I don't know about y'all, but every now and then I'll feel it in here when we're singing and when it just kind of gets on, like it's always pretty sweet right down there for some reason. And you just like sense his presence. You know what I'm talking about? But you are invited into the presence of God whenever you want it. Whenever you want it, who gives you the the, the credibility? Who gives you access? The son does. It's like if you were in the old time England and you just walked up into King Charles or King Henry or King James or King Jimmy, you walked up in his throne room. You can't just get access to that. You'd have to have access from somebody who has power. You and I have access from the, the most powerful person ever in King Jesus. So why would we ever ignore that? So you and I, we're invited in as Christians to go into a place of majesty for what? to be met with his mercy. As we go into a time of invitation, the truth is this morning, there are so many people in this room that is carrying some type of burden. And you've been looking for rest and food or relationships. You've been looking for affirmation of a decision in your relationships or in your work. You've been looking for purpose in your career. You've been looking for satisfaction in the things of this world. But what we find the writer of Hebrews just simply saying is that you've been given access to the throne of grace. So why as a Christian would you ever choose to do something like this, to not do something like this? Lord, here I am again. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve your mercy and God, I don't don't feel like I could even attain to this, but Lord, Your word tells me that Jesus is the high priest and that right now he's seated at your right hand. And so God, here I am. I don't deserve to be in your presence, but you are good and you give that to me. God, thank you for that. God, I'm also reminded that my my heart is heavy and the things of this world, it makes it hurt. But God, your word says that Jesus feels all the way I feel and you say I can come boldly. So Lord, here it is. My heart's heavy. I can't see through the tears. My I feel like my heart is shattered. My soul is so disconnected from everything else. And I've been looking for peace and answers anywhere else. But God, your word says that I can find it right here at your throne of mercy. And you will give me your grace as I need it. So whatever it is that you need, this should be our pursuit. This posture right here should be what we as believers are marked by. Moment by moment, day after day, for you in the room that you're looking for rest, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 11 that come, come to him all who are heavy, heavy laden and burdened and he will give you rest. Ephesians chapter three says that he will be your strength. Call out for it. 
Joshua chapter one says that he's gonna be, he's gonna walk in, in presence with you. Psalms are full of psalms of protection. James talks about you can call out to him in wisdom when you need it. Whatever it might be, you and I should be believers. That if anybody knows anything about us, we are people on our knees in pursuit of the throne of grace. So for you this morning, I don't know the needs you have, but for the believer, if we were honest as believers in this room, we'd probably say, you know, I don't, I don't sell out and I don't pursue that throne of grace like I need to. And I don't want to be the guy that says that's okay, because really it's not. And I'm talking to myself here too. We shouldn't look for satisfaction and peace in anything else because he is the teacher. He is the comforter. This word is enough. But maybe today's the day for the believer in this room to just honestly shift your focus and stop being so self-reliant and looking for satisfaction in anything else. And maybe today you're gonna make the decision to say, Lord, I don't wanna look for peace anywhere else except for in you. If that's you here in just a moment, we're gonna go to a time of invitation. And I would just love and encourage you just to spend some time in this altar to say, Lord, the rest of my life until I meet you, I wanna spend as much time as I can in your throne of grace before I actually get there physically. For others in this room, you've had a misunderstanding of the gospel and you, you feel like you're not even worthy. If that's you, I promise you that when you just rely on Jesus and Jesus alone, that shame and that guilt that you're carrying, if you know him, it just fades away and you can truly walk in victory for the first time. But then there's others in this room, you're carrying a heavy weight. I mean, my goodness, think of the things that that's happened in our church family the last week. Our hearts should hurt. But I just wonder, are there, are there priests in this room that would be willing to say, I just wanna bring my friends to Jesus. I wanna lift them up to Jesus because of what the great high priest did for me. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I wanna ask if you would just stand to your feet. And over the next few moments, we're gonna sing a really awesome song, a very powerful song. And I, I hope that it's your prayer, but if you're here today and you're lost, you can experience the throne of grace, but before you get there, you've got to stop by Calvary first. And so if that's you and you're lost, come find me, Pastor Phil, Pastor Mason, any of us. We'd love to show you from God's word how you can be saved. If you're here today and you need mercy, the altars are open, but even in your seat, you can call out to the Lord and ask him to give you your mercy and grace, and I promise you he'll do it. Whatever it is that the Lord's calling you to do today, do it. Father, I pray that you'd move, and I pray that you'd meet with us in Jesus' name. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.